Welcome to the Relax, It's Retirement podcast with Josh Leonard from Leonard Advisory Group. In this podcast, we help those nearing retirement greet it with a well-prepared smile. Join Josh and his guests to learn the retirement and tax planning tips you need so you too can live your golden years with the happiness and excitement you deserve. Hear stories from his years of experience to help you transition into a fun and intentional retirement. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Relax It's Retirement podcast with your host, Josh Leonard, where we talk about transitioning into retirement with intent. I'm Wendy McConnell. Hi, Josh. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you today, Wendy? I'm good. I was just uh, chatting in the green room with your guest. Let's introduce your guest. Yeah. So today we have the college dude on. So our goal here is to talk about some college planning. And I would say the most important fact to know about Dan, he's a financial advisor, does college planning, but he was born in the same county as Taylor Swift. So that's kind of more important than everything else, right? I would say so. Oh my gosh, that is so impressive. So Dan, how does it feel growing up in the county that Taylor Swift was born in? I mean, must be phenomenal. It really is. We're basically best friends. So we've known each other for so long. But yeah, no, that's I promise that's the only lie I'll tell today. So um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I appreciate you guys having me on, Wendy and Josh. Just, you know, looking forward to discussing today. But yeah, really looking forward to it. Yeah, it'll it'll certainly be a fun one. And, you know, we had a little brief discussion ahead of time that recently with Taylor Swift's big concert, everyone's been searching for tickets. And Wendy, do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience there? Trying to get tickets? Yeah. <laughs> it was not a good experience. <laughs> I was one of those lucky people that was subject to the pre-sale. So I got in before the general admission sale, which never happened, by the way, because they sold out before they even got to that point. But I waited in the queue and then for a half hour, I clicked on tickets and while it was looking for the tickets, it would say, I'm sorry, another fan bought those. Try again. I did that for a half hour. Never got tickets. Jeez, jeez. Um, <laughs> that's wild. We had a uh, one individual share that on their next door app, they were looking and some lady had posted looking for someone to let out her dog or something, but had disclosed that she was taking her two daughters to the concert and bought three tickets at $4,000 a piece. So that is insane. Have Dan, I assume, you know, you just get free tickets, right? So that's exactly right. Backstage pass. Yeah. Yeah. Just unlimited backstage passes wherever she goes. I could travel with her if I want, but uh, full disclosure yeah. Dan has never met Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I, I think that's a great way to transition to college planning. If you have two young girls or two young boys or any setup of kids, maybe $4,000 a piece concert tickets is not the best way to help your kids grow and learn more. And, you know, certainly for a lot of parents, college planning is a big thing on their mind. So, you know, of course, our audience is more focused on those nearing and in retirement. But many times that can take the form of, college planning for grandkids or grandparents that want to help out with that planning a little bit. So we have Dan on today to kind of talk through that. So let's jump into it. Dan, what would you say is the most overlooked piece of college planning or what's kind of the key point that you highlight when talking about college planning with folks? Yeah, yeah. I think so in terms of dealing with parents directly, they 
oftentimes will step into something, especially first time parents of, of children who haven't gone to college, they're stepping into an unknown. Uh, for many parents, they may have gone to college 20, 30, 40 years ago, you never know. And college is a lot different than it was 30 years ago. The, the cost of college has been skyrocketing since then. And many parents, I think, are, are in a, for a rude awakening if they haven't seen what the cost of college is. So what we try and focus on is just being realistic of the coming up with a budget of how much can you afford for college? What are the sources that you should be looking to pay for college? And then really from there, it's what are the types of schools that you're applying to? Because all of that's going to be related to the net cost that you're going to pay for college. And ultimately, we want to see parents be able to get to the point that you help them with, Josh, which is retirement. And just as importantly, see that the kids are able to get off to a good start, not be drowning in student loan debt, which unfortunately is taking place for, for a lot of folks right now, either parents or, or the students have student loan debt, which is affecting other goals. Yeah. So when you're sitting down with parents, what's kind of the ideal time to to start having that conversation where you talk about maybe public versus private school, in-state versus out-of-state and start to give them some of the idea of the cost? What's kind of a good time to to start having that conversation? For sure. Yeah. It works in phases. I think a lot of times, I think anytime that you have a, a larger goal or a larger investment, just that getting in the habit of saving is a good one. But as you get closer to you know, high school, college, it becomes a little bit more real for many parents that of, of high school age kids, they got a lot going on in their lives. So maybe not number one focus is, well, how am I going to afford juniors retirement? It might be all the sports that they're playing or, or other extracurricular activities they're in. So we really like to have the conversation no later than junior year to start just because that's when a lot of the the planning, I think, from both the financial standpoint, but also choosing a school becomes important. So it's things like their standardized tests that they may be taking, things like their transcripts that they want to have in order, but also they're going to eventually start filling out some of the paperwork that's required to get any type of financial aid. The applications start rolling in so that by senior year, of high school, they're rocking and rolling and ready to go. Yeah. And uh, they have a good idea of what it's like to then hopefully fund school in a very affordable way. Okay. Yeah, I think I think I want to break down two points that you talked about there. One is paperwork, right, which mm -hmm. is always an exciting thing to talk about. And I think the big one is just the FAFSA. Everyone who's done it doesn't want to do it again. And, you know, it's this this big piece of paperwork that, that ultimately is pretty big. So there were some recent changes in that as well. So let's talk a little bit about the FAFSA. What is FAFSA? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say the FAFSA stands for Free Application for Federal Student Aid. And is if you haven't figured it out by now, the college planning landscape is filled with acronyms. So forgive me if I mentioned something, please stop me and I'll happily explain. But the free application for federal student aid is kind of the starting point when it comes to actually applying for any type of, of student aid, uh, specifically on the federal side that would be available through the Department of Education. But um, previously, the way that it would work is it's a, a document you would fill out online, and it really takes into account four different factors. It takes into account parent income and parent assets, and also the student income and student assets. So you'd fill out this form every year, typically every October 1st is when it would open up and you would fill that out for then the next corresponding, the next corresponding year. So I would fill out the October 1 FAFSA if I were to be enrolling then that following August into school, into college. So, but really the changes that have taken place 
there's been a number of them. It's called the FAFSA Simplification Act is the actual act of legislation. Um, I would, I have some opinions, some positives, some negatives, I think that have taken place with it. But in terms of the actual number of questions, it's been shortened down to the 108 questions now to between 36 to 46, depending on how you answer them. So it at least will be less time. But there's going to be a lot of times that I think parents, they were very confused, I think, with some of these questions. You still want to make sure that you have things prepared, like a list of your assets, because you're going to need to report those for when you're completing the FAFSA. You want to have that information ready and, and prepared to go. So, Dan, let's talk about the timing of kind of preparing that form when we're capturing assets and all that kind of stuff and how that corresponds with uh, the school years as well. Yeah. So in terms of the timing, the again, the two main drivers of this are the two things that you want to make sure you have are, are your uh, income taxes and also the uh, the list of your assets. So the income taxes, this is where the FAFSA can get a little goofy. It actually looks back two years prior on the tax return. So if I were to be filling out the, the FAFSA for the 2024 to 2025 school year, they're going to use my 2022 tax return. So it's two years prior in terms of the actual reading of, of the income. But when you fill out the information for your assets, you fill that out as of the day that you file the FAFSA. So when it comes to assets, it's day of. When it comes to income, it's two years prior. But the timing of things will be thrown off slightly this year compared to recent years. Due to that FAFSA Simplification Act that I had mentioned, the timing in which the FAFSA will open will be sometime in December. So parents, I think, want to make sure that they're ready to fill out that information come December, because again, there are going to be some changes. It wouldn't surprise me if there might be a glitch or two in the system, maybe just the prediction we'll see. But anytime that the government usually unveils something large, it's it's some, subject to uh, some glitches from time to time. So making sure that parents are prepared to fill that out come December, I think is going to be important. And again, it's making sure that you have that asset list and your tax return from 2022 is either filed or properly that there's no mistakes that you have on there. Okay. So I know for us many times when people say, oh, saving for college, doing college planning, one of the things that comes up is a 529. So a 529 listeners is sort of the IRA for college savings, right? Or education, I guess, more broadly. Mm -hmm. One of the things that Dan and I had talked about a little bit in preparing for the show was, you know, a parent-owned 529 versus a grandparent-owned 529 and some of the benefits and pros and cons of each one of those. So, Dan, Mm -hmm. do you mind jumping into that a little bit here? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think you bring up, I think it's a very well said, the, the 529 is a, it's like the IRA for college per se. But yeah, the 529, for those that don't know, it's it's uh, a code that was passed in the I, in the Internal Revenue Code that allows, it's an, an account that allows folks to save for college in a, in a tax-favorable way. So depending on your state of residence, you could get a state tax deduction for contributions. It can grow tax-free, and it's it, there are tax-free withdrawals, assuming that you use them for qualifying education expenses. So it can be a great planning tool. I think some things you want to be cognizant of is how you invest it, especially as you get closer to college. But as you mentioned, Josh, there's it's not it's very flexible in terms of who can own it. So for an IRA, obviously the IRA owner is that's pretty much it. It's your contributions, it's your retirement account. But with a 529 account, there's a custodian, which can be either the parent or the grandparent. 
And then there's the beneficiary, which again, can be anybody, but more often than not is going to be that child who's attending school. So what many grandparents have done is opened accounts and rather than giving their kids toys or buying them Taylor Swift concert tickets, which again, we can talk about if that's the right thing to do or not. They will say, instead, I'll contribute to, to a 529 plan for them and give them the gift of saving for education. And it can really, again, there, there are great tax benefits, I think, for, for everybody involved by doing so. Yeah. Well, and Dan, you're in Pennsylvania, as are many of our listeners. That's you know where our company started. In Pennsylvania, you, you do get some state tax deductions there as well. So that's a benefit when you're contributing. Here in Michigan, where I reside now, we get also state income deductions. And we have a really good plan here, too. So if folks are looking to save in a 529 plan, what are some key things that you look for in selecting that 529 plan? It's a great question and one that I think does require some research. But you mentioned the Pennsylvania and Michigan. I think there's a lot of commonality you can almost look at there. But the first thing that I try to look at is the state tax favorability. And, and if you are able to contribute to a 529 plan, do you get a state tax deduction. So most states are going to give that option. Again, for the states that don't have state income tax, it's a non-factor. But for us in Pennsylvania, it's a pretty great uh, benefit that we have that you can contribute to any state's plan and get the 529 deduction. So you're not wrong. Michigan has a great plan. And if I, as a Pennsylvania resident, wanted to open a 529 plan and contribute to it, I can get that state tax deduction, whereas some other states are captive to their state's plan. If, if you as a Michigan resident wanted to get that tax deduction, you need to contribute to your plan. But the things that I really try and focus on are, again, looking first at that the state tax rules in any way that we can save in taxes. Most people are pretty receptive to. But the other things that we want to look at are investment choices and then also the, the fees that are involved. So I think it's important to make sure that if you're investing in a plan, just like you would in a retirement plan, those are some of the things that you want to make sure of in terms of timing and investment selection, that they're quality funds or quality investments that you'd be putting the your hard-earned dollars into, but also you don't want to be paying excessive fees. And I think those are really the big three that I start with. And from there, usually just, again, the habit of saving is probably the biggest factor, but that's really the driver of the discussions that we have. Good, good. Yeah. And we'll link, I know you had done a blog post somewhat recently about tax tips for grandparents paying for college. I know in that blog post too, you had a nice map that kind of outlines those different state rules in a simplified version. So, you know, like in our family, my kids are in Michigan. My parents are now in Ohio. We were in Pennsylvania. So sometimes crossing those state lines can alter your planning a little bit as well. For sure. Yeah. And it's and it's a great point you bring up. There's There could be parents and grandparents in different states. The other thing that I will mention is there's nothing stopping a grandparent from opening up their own separate 529 plan for a child. So there can be multiple 529 plans that you have open. So it could be a situation where a grandparent lives in Ohio and then you're living in Michigan. You, you can have your parents open up the 529 plan in Ohio, get that state tax deduction while you have your own plan and getting your state tax deduction in Michigan. So a lot of planning that you can do. And again, we're not talking huge tax savings, but any chance you can save on state taxes, I think is something that you want to definitely consider. Sure. Yeah. And I think one consideration for my parents in particular is they moved from Pennsylvania 
where withdrawing from your IRA or your retirement <laughs> funds is not state taxed yep. to Ohio where it is state yes. taxed. Right. So now in retirement, that is a concern for them where when they were residing in PA, it wasn't really a concern. It's a great point. Yeah. And I think that's something that not a lot of people, we give a lot of attention to the federal state tax rule or mm -hmm. federal tax rules, but we oftentimes neglect state tax rule. And I think it's something again, that that's money that could be spent elsewhere that I think parents want to make sure and grandparents want to make sure that they're holding on to. Yeah. And, and I think for us, it's a conversation that we have a lot with folks that it's the idea of giving away with warm hands versus cold, right? So if grandma and grandpa can benefit by funding Johnny or Susie's college a little bit, get a tax deduction, and hopefully they're able to see them go through college, graduate, get a good position, start their adult life without a huge amount of debt, and they were part of that, that is often more beneficial than your well-equipped children inheriting a couple extra thousand dollars at death. So, yeah, it's again, just the benefit, I think of this, the tax rules, but just like you mentioned, I think there's also something that can be said for while you're living, being able to see the enjoyment from a grandchild. I, I can say for sure, grandparents and grandchildren have a, have a bond that, you know, are, are oftentimes it's indescribable. You know, I'm a new father, my parents, I know they love me, but I think they might love my granddaughter just a little bit more. Like it's one of those where it's one of those anytime you can benefit, uh, anytime you can benefit the grandchildren, it, it definitely is something that their ears perk up for. Yep. At this point, my oldest is six. And I think just this last year, my parents started to care to see me again. <laughs> we were joking, like my wife and I are going away for a couple days here shortly and the grandparents are going to be watching our two boys. And we're like, they don't even care that we're not there. They're just <laughs> happy. You know, our kids and our parents, right? They have right. such a great relationship. And I'm sure you'll see with your parents too, that it seems to be all those rules that you had as a kid or a little bit more flexible with your kids. <laughs> it's funny how that works. Yeah, it's it's yeah, I'm glad to see that it's a universal rule and not just my family it runs in. So, that's funny. Yeah, but you know, I think that's it. I that relationship between grandparents and grandkids is a phenomenal one. I think college planning looking across generations is often overlooked as a planning opportunity that can benefit not only your grandchild but also mm -hmm. you in retirement depending on you know, your state tax rules and that kind of stuff as well. For sure. Yeah. And I, I also think there are, for some of the wealthy, there could be some federal tax rules too that are, are, are very beneficial. When you move money to a 529 plan, it's no longer in the estate. It's not considered part of the taxable estate. Now, currently that number is just shy of 13 million, which I know is, is a little high for, for many folks out there, but there's nothing stopping those federal rules from changing and, and becoming a a smaller number, even in 2025, that number is set to essentially split in half. So really, we, I think, are cognizant of folks that have potential estate tax issues. It's a way that you can kind of solve, solve that problem or help alleviate some of that problem. So it's definitely something that can also benefit grandparents, not just the grandchildren. Sure. Yeah. And I think it's a way that we can build generational wealth as well. So we could think in particular of maybe a business owner that's selling a business, moving into retirement, and with that big liquidation event, man, they're getting killed with taxes. So they're looking for ways to structure things better. For our, sure. Yeah. Our estate limits now we can take advantage of, even if they go lower. So you don't have to die to take advantage of it. You just right. have to get it out of the estate now. So even if you don't have grandkids yet, but 
it appears as if maybe at some point you would, you could set that up as a family 529 mm -hmm. plan where you could change who the person receiving the funds is in the future or, you know, get your doctorate in retirement too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's such a great point, Josh. You bring up a really big one that I think is we're, we're planning, I think often as the rules are today, but if you look at the last 30 years, the last 20 years, so much has changed. I'm willing to bet it's going to be very similar over the next 20 to 30 years. So yep. you have to, I think, constantly be planning and understanding that the rules are going to change. Utilize the the planning strategies to your advantage. Yeah. I guess one other piece in, in talking through the grandparents, you know, how do you see and how have you worked with clients where grandparents are involved in that conversation with Johnny that's in maybe the sophomore or junior year? You know, how do you integrate that where parents feel comfortable disclosing the financial mm -hmm. information, but also grandparents, you know, sometimes there's a barrier there too, that they don't want to disclose all their information to the kids quite yet. Yeah, again, that's a that's a, a great question. I, I think in the financial planning world that there's oftentimes an art and a science. The science is the numbers, the tax savings, the investment choices, etc. But when it comes to understanding relationships and how family dynamics work, I, I think I'm going to be very general when I say this, but a lot of the grandparent current generation that are grandparents right now, they're a little bit more private with their money. They're not quite maybe as open in, in sharing what that amount is. Again, that's not a universal rule. There are some that I think are willing to, to open up about it, but I've seen it where grandparents are saying, yeah, we'll help with juniors college. And the parents may be thinking, what does that mean? Is that a $10 gas card that they're going to give them? Or is that a $10,000 contribution? And it can range anywhere in between. But I think for families, it's it's trying to encourage them to understand that the, the decisions that they make or the types of contributions that they make, if they want to help, it's something that does require some planning. Because if a grandparent does make a contribution to college or to their 529 plan, and let's just say it's not fully talked through or thought out, that can that can lead to decreased financial aid that the student may be getting in school. So I think it's important that everybody is rowing in the same direction and making some of the same decisions. And it does require an open conversation, which sometimes grandparents aren't very open to talking about. And I can certainly understand why it's not always a comfortable conversation. So sure. My my conversation with the parents is usually that try to encourage some openness in that. And the reason being is because of the scholarships or, or grant aid that they may be getting that they may not be eligible for if grandparents are making large contributions or taking out five to nine distributions in a certain at a certain age, which could affect aid. Yeah, I, I guess I want to highlight that there is. Giving money to help with college is great, but from that retiree grandparent perspective, don't cause other problems for the kids too, right? Don't <laughs> exactly. cause college to actually be more expensive or disqualify from student aid. So I know we had talked about since they're looking back two years too, you can do some real detailed strategy where you're withdrawing from a parent-owned 529 the first group of years and then the grandparents the second group of years to kind mm -hmm. of avoid that money being pulled in to your federal aid eligibility. Yeah. And speaking to that, kind of going back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, this FAFSA Simplification Act, the new rule, it changes the rules where grandparents could, in theory, take out 529 distributions at any age, but that doesn't include every single college. Again, this is where the college landscape can get very, very funky and unclear. 
there are certain schools, more so you're, you're a leader. I think I would say more elite schools, high-level schools that such as the Ivy Leagues, Northwestern, Notre Dame, some of your bigger schools, they use a form called the CSS profile. And if your school is using that form, they're going to kind of go by the old rules for grandparent aid. So it does become important that grandparents understand the type of school that the their grandchild is, is attending, but also how you're going to strategize to pay for that school. And again, that's where you really need cohesion between the, the parents and the grandparents, because if you don't have that, you could be costing yourself and your your children and grandchildren in financial aid, which I will never argue. I mean, the best money is scholarships and grants. It's free money that the, either the school's providing or another source is. And if you lose that due to 529 distributions taken out at a wrong time, it kind of defeats the purpose to me. Very good. Yeah, I think there's a lot of coordination, much like many pieces of financial planning. I think having someone that's very knowledgeable, that's why we had Jan today to talk about this, is helpful. But then also having that relationship of maybe knowing some of the family dynamics and helping being that third party person to kind of help coach through it. Absolutely. And I think that's where I think having a disinterested third party can often be helpful. But but it's again, every family dynamic is unique. And I know that's how we as planners, you can, again, talk about the numbers and the investments and whatnot. But there's also a human element to this that we need to keep in mind. And the relationships that parents and grandparents have is very important. It's something that I try to make sure that I have an understanding and a background of anytime that we're approaching this planning topic. I had a quick question that when it comes to the cost of college, mm -hmm. can you speak to the fact of the benefit of going to a private school that costs mm. probably three to four times much more than a state funded school, which I went to school those 30 some years ago that you're talking about. I know it's all different, but a right. guy I dated at the time went to a very small private school, paid a ton of money. And mm. I said, nobody heard of your school. Everybody knows Temple, Everybody <laughs> knows Temple University. Yep. So what's the yep. difference? Yeah. So again, that's a great question, Wendy. I think the thing that a lot of people need to understand is that just because it's a state school, the sticker price may be lower. It doesn't necessarily mean that they won't get an offer, whether it be through grant aid, scholarship aid, that can't be comparable. And, and going back to what we were talking about in the very beginning, what I think is important and how we help parents is understand no two situations are the same. You know, you and your neighbor will be very different based on the size of your family, student income, student assets, parent income, parent assets. There's so many factors that go into, into your financial side. But the other thing we're not even accounting for is merit-based aid. If your student is a an A-plus student and has a great SAT score, they very well could get some merit-based aid at one of those private institutions, which could actually be lower than some state schools. What I think was helpful and something that uh, was a required law. I forget the exact year it was passed, but each school is required to have on their website a net price calculator. And so what that means is it, it'll allow you to type in some of your financial information and some of your some of your merit information, your GPA, SAT scores, for example. And that can give you an estimate. It's not always going to be perfect, but it can give you an estimate of how much you can be expected to pay. So oftentimes for state schools, such as Temple, Penn State, Pittsburgh in our area, it's not often going to be the case where they're going to give out a ton of merit-based aid because the schools are so large and they're already a smaller cost to begin with. But many of these private schools, much of which you may have never heard of, they can oftentimes offer 
more merit-based aid since they have uh, a little bit more leeway in terms of how they can award scholarships, grants, et cetera. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. I think the other thing is like knowing your kid too. So, or grandkid for my, my brother went to Penn state and it's a big school, right? Your class sizes are big. I went to a smaller private school. Our cost was somewhat comparable at the end of the day, like pretty close overall. Penn state doesn't have to give away a bunch of money to get people to go there. People want to go there, right? The smaller schools, they need to attract people because nobody's heard of Baldwin Wallace, right? So exactly. But for (laughs) me, it worked really well because if I would have went to Penn State, I would have majored in like natural light or something. (laughs) So, you know, the smaller private school was good for me because I had accountability with all my professors. Mm. I think for me as a father, when I look at my kids, okay, One's a little bit more introverted, so maybe he would thrive more in that type of setting rather than this huge school where he might get lost in the crowd. The other one, well, he's going to stick his neck out no matter where he is. So, hey, wherever you're comfortable, buddy. Such a massive point, Josh. What I think, you know, we see that we really look at that there's four kinds of fits. What we focus on primarily is the financial fit, which is what we've been talking about. But there's academic fit, there's geographic fit, and then there's social fit. And if you are off. And I think any one of those, it can end up having a detrimental effect on the financial fit. Because if I go to Penn State, and I'm a fish out of water there, I belong at a smaller school, whatever I spend in that first semester, maybe a full year, that can end up that not all my credits necessarily going to transfer over if I were to switch schools. So I could be down a couple thousand dollars, maybe more than that, just by making the wrong school selection. So it's again, we focus on the financial the, the the net price and and lowering that cost and the, figure out the best ways to pay, but we can come up with a total plan that is perfect, looks great on paper, but if the students going to a school that doesn't fit for them, it, it financially it can be a, a disaster. So it does sure. become super important. And again, great point you bring up that it, it must be more than just the numbers. It needs to be the the social and academic fit. Ge- excuse me the geographic fit as well that can allow um, uh, students to really excel in where they're going to school. Great, great. Well, thanks so much. I I really appreciate you coming on. And uh, I feel like we could talk for a few hours on this. Um, I think our listeners got a lot of great information. And I know we had talked a little bit that most of your college planning, or I believe all of it at this point is just fee based. Is that correct? You just charge a flat fee to do this kind of planning with folks, right? That's correct. Yeah. So so you can check out the website that I have, www.collegedude.com.com, I'm sorry. And you can see everything on there in terms of how we operate. But really, you know, we do offer financial planning services, but it, oftentimes it's centered and it starts with the college planning that we that we offer. And we are 100 percent fee based. We don't charge any commissions or any we don't collect commissions or anything like that. So really, for us, it's a matter of just making sure that we're giving unbiased advice. And we want to make sure that parents and students, again, are set where parents can then graduate to you and get to the retirement right. area that they want to, they really want to focus on. But, but I think for students, it's getting off to a good start and avoiding that student loan debt trap that so many are unfortunately falling into. Yeah, good stuff. Well, yeah, thank you, Dan, for joining us today. It was a lot of interesting knowledge and information. So Josh, how can people get in touch with you if they have some questions? Sure, absolutely. They can reach out to me at jleonard at leonardadvisorygroup.com. We'll 
have a link in the show notes to schedule a 15-minute phone call with us. Or if you're feeling a little bit more active, you can go ahead and give our office a call at 412-998-PLAN. And check us out online at www.leonardadvisorygroup.com. And thank you for joining us today. Please like, follow, and share with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Thank you for listening to the Relax, It's Retirement podcast, the show that helps you transition into a happy, fun, and intentional retirement. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.leonardadvisorygroup.com or give us a call at 412-998-PLAN. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Leonard Advisory Group, LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service professionals with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.